What do they think we got three rod Brandemores or what? I think I started lifting real light weights when I was like 12. I remember my dad bought me a set of those old Rydell weights, six in the morning. I'd hear his car head off the mill and I'd get up and do this real set, 20 minutes to stop. It only took about a year, but what'd you think about that intro? That intro was fire, dude. Dude, it totally slopped. It was like 10 Sheesh. out of 10 on the Richter scale. Shout out to Stephen May for that heat check. What's the highest you can go on the Richter scale? Mike Richter? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome into the Rod the Podcast. I'm uh, your host, Jordan Betts, actually back in person for the first time in a minute. Mike, how we doing tonight? Doing pretty good, you know, just ready to reminisce on what was. You know, it's only been a couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm already uh, pretty nostalgic about it. And the fact that I don't think we expected to be done, at least after the second round. Um, briefly, let's chat about the end of the Bruins series. We recorded a podcast uh, before game seven. Um Canes win 3-2, Max Domi three points, two goals, uh, really his only contribution on the stat sheet uh, throughout the playoffs. Any other thoughts on that game or kind of held to form, home team won every game? What are your thoughts? Um, well, you know, the Bruins series, you didn't expect it to go to seven games. The Canes kind of played down to their opponents when they were in Boston and ultimately lost because they couldn't match up against the quote-unquote perfection line. It was a disappointing series because it was way more stressful than it needed to be, and they also created this identity that they couldn't win on the road, which we saw continue to manifest itself into the second round. Yeah, it kind of became a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you know, honestly, the first two rounds uh, this year were very reminiscent uh, of the first two rounds last year and the fact that got tested a little more than you expected in round one. Uh, Nashville took Carolina uh, a little further than I thought they would, and Boston did the same. Um, the difference was this year, um, in round two, I thought you were the better team. And, you know, we all know how that played out at this point with the Rangers taking the Canes to game seven and then ultimately becoming the first team to beat them uh, at home this year uh, during the postseason. <sighs> Macro thoughts on that series. Because for me, going into it, and we apologize for not recording, uh, I sold my house. I was actually in New York. I was all over the place. Mike had some stuff going on too. But, you know, we wanted to take a few weeks and kind of decompress, listen to all the postseason interviews from all the players, coaches, organization, kind of gather our thoughts and, and kind of see how we feel here. But, Going into that series, I thought Carolina's a better team. My concern, or similar concerns to what I expressed during the Bruins series, and the fact that Carolina's style of play, you know, they're deeper. I thought you'd really do well. You, your bottom six would take over the game compared to their bottom six. Um, I The big question was, would the Rangers' stars outweigh Carolina's team 
you know, would Panarin, Zabanajad, and Sesterkin ultimately be too much star power for Carolina to overcome? And I'm not sure that's what we left that series thinking. But what I thought was Carolina not necessarily doesn't have the star power to beat the Rangers because I, I very much think they should have won that series and it was pretty tight through six games. But they're a star player short of winning a cup. And now just kind of broad strokes. We don't need to go game by game. But what were your thoughts on that series? Well, I think ultimately the Hurricanes beat themselves. I mean, I don't want to discredit the Rangers. Um, Shesterkin was incredible. They found a way to score on the power play and convert um, some untimely goals for the Hurricanes that you need to have saves. We're not going to sit here and bash Ronta because he filled in admirably. Um, do I think it's a different series with Anderson? Probably, but that doesn't matter because it's not the situation that we were in. When you look at the series, it's it's just really tough because penalty kill, absolutely horrible. Power play, absolutely horrible. You have opportunities to score to score on Shesterkin and when he gives you those opportunities you have to take them and they failed to convert he's going to save the easy ones 99% of the time and when you get those opportunities and you don't convert them I mean it's going to come back to bite you and then you look at game seven they get behind Pellar play goal they get behind and they never they never caught up and they literally didn't show the fight that you would expect in a game seven but they had seemed like they just lost belief in themselves and it was quite shocking to see um I felt like they were the better team and it ultimately partially came down to a goaltending matchup and partially came down to a special team's failure by the Hurricanes in my opinion yeah it to me coming into the season this was the first time despite winning the division championship last year despite you know making playoffs the three previous seasons this was the first year that they entered into the playoffs with legitimate expectations you know you'd kind of been a young roster a little ahead of the curve you know especially going back to 2019 the eastern conference finals run there to me the bare minimum this team had to do as the metro champion was to make it to the eastern conference finals where, where i get a little miffed is they're close. The The margin was there. I, I, I To reference an, an Adam Gold point, and Adam Gold and I don't typically see eye to eye on, on all things hockey, Kane's hockey, but I really do agree with him here. It's, it, it's kind of the easy way out to blame this series on not having Freddie Anderson. I, I think it would be hard to expect to get better um, goaltending than they got from Antiranta outside of really game six uh, in New York. And you know, he was okay pre-injury in game seven. But the concerning thing for me is for the first time, I felt the team kind of played to the fact that, oh, we may lose all these road games. We can't win on the road. That's concerning, but we're going to win at home. And it really felt like really after the first and definitely after the second goal in game seven that they kind of, not that they laid down, it's not that the effort wasn't there. It's like the belief was gone. And I've rarely seen PNC like that, uh, especially in a playoff game, playoff game of that magnitude. Um, it was just kind of, you know, an empty feeling, and you knew early that it was kind of done. Um, the question for me is, where where do we go from here? 
clearly it's a good team. Uh, the vast majority of your core is locked up for the next two years. Um, are they capped? Does the style of play need to change? Is it a grinding style that really is advantageous in the regular season because you can wear opponents down and they're, you know, truthfully, they don't try as hard. You know, guys don't want to work that hard to win regular season games, but in the playoffs, everyone's amped. Uh, does the umbrella, you know, power play concept need to change? I, I think these are all valid questions to ask. And um, for the second year in a row, and really you can chase the or trace the power play and penalty kill struggles the last four years through the playoffs, like they're how much they've been outscored by. Um, we're kind of getting redundant problems at this point. And the team is too good. I think the front office, the brain trust is too good to kind of sit on their hands, how they've done at the you know trade deadline <laughs> this offseason. And it's time. Your, your window really is two years because Pesci, Ajo, Turbo all come up in two years. So that's your, you know, a big majority of your core. What are your macro thoughts? And to you, is this fixable in an off season? Or are we kind of going into the same thing? And like, to me, I, I don't want it to be, hey, they lost because Freddie didn't play. This team can run it back and they're there because I, I don't think they're there. I, I really don't. I think it's a very good team. I think it's a team that can obviously win a division. I don't think they can win a cup how they're currently constructed. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, right, this roster next year could win a cup if certain players take steps. That's the big piece, right? If Ajo takes a step, Fetch takes a step, Jarvis takes a step, if Natchez returns and takes a step, if Kokaniemi takes a step, right? If those guys take steps from this year to next year, then this roster can return and absolutely contend. With that being said, I think I don't know that there's better hockey out of Vincent Trocheck think Nino Niederreiter is playing the best hockey of his career. I don't know how realistic it is for that level of play to extend in the future. You also have to take into account he's thrived playing on Stahl's wing lately, and Stahl only has one year left on his deal. So if Nino wants four or five years, what does Nino look like on a line without Jordan Stahl, right? So you look at you look at how the roster is currently constructed, you think – are there tweaks that need to be made? Obviously, the, it, when you're having the same failings year after year, special teams in the playoffs, um, like a mistakes, scoring juice, yeah, mi like simple mistakes. Like you can't gift teams goals in the playoffs, and the Hurricanes had a great habit, whether it was on the power play or five on five, of just giving goals to teams that were just. We would sit there, and you'd just be shocked because it, it was it so totally against, yeah against the run of play um yeah no i think that's a great point and i think it's a really good jumping off point you know we don't need to rehash the ranger series too much more it, you know the the storylines are the storylines that everyone knows them at this point um but you were talking roster construction one last thing i will say and this actually filters right into roster construction too Going back to the Bill Peters, Corsi Canes era, you know, we were talking before we started recording. It was like, you know, their expected goals, their expected goals. It's like, I am so tired of expected goals hearing about it. At some point, you just got to produce and to turn into legitimate production. And I think that's kind of where we're at now. And 
as analytically oriented as this organization is, is there no calibration for, can you not account for, like star power is an intangible at a certain level. Like the natural knack to score goals is intangible and you can be in great position and, but there's something about having someone to finish or, you know, I believe the talent's here, you know, you referenced it. it if Andrei Svechikov becomes the player that we hope he will be, well, that's the key, right? That 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 guy really holds the key. Well, he can't go five points in 14 games. Can't do that. Like, that just can't happen. You know, it's not all on him, but that those things just can't occur. Your stars have to produce. And, you know, it seems to be a reoccurring thing for Carolina that they don't. So let's hop into roster construction. We'll yeah. play a little jingle real quick because everyone loves it. The best time to be the Canes GM is all the time. One with a color turtleneck, what's on his mind? It's turtleneck time. God, that jingle gets me every time. But for me, Mike, I want you to take it. Um, let's jump right into uh, UFA RFA discussion. Um, or take it wherever you want to go. You're, this is your moment, Don Waddell. Sure. Tell me what's going on this. So first, yeah, first thing I'll start off with is a bit of a rewind because if you look back, the most upsetting part about what the Canes have done over the last couple of years is the failure to add the player that we've talked about. They had the opportunity to add Tarasenko, and look what he did. You, I'm, you could have had two years of Tarasenko at seven million. The price was probably a very fair price based on what he ended up producing, and what he would have done for the Canes scoring at five on five and power play scoring. You could have added Line A. Like they were linked with these guys. These guys, Tarasenko ends up not getting moved when he was absolutely available to be moved, which means the Canes just needed to make the deal that they wanted and they failed to make those moves and you sit back and you're like have they learned have they learned their lesson and this is going to be the offseason where we find out if we if the organization has learned their lesson because I don't want to be the person that says like the only way you win is to add that score but no, the, 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 yeah this team is talented enough to make a deep run in the playoffs I, when I say I don't think they can win the cup I just think they're built a little incorrectly, but it 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 can be a nuanced tweak. I'm, I'm not saying it's like doom and gloom. This oh, sure. team isn't going to playoffs, but for me, this is the off season where we're going to find out is the organization content with finishing high in the standings and just making the playoffs at the hopes of that translates. All you got to do is get to the dance, right? Or does this organization? see the writing on the wall, say we're constructed a little suboptimally. Our window is two years. It's time to make that aggressive move. And to me, that's all I want to see because yeah, I, I think it's time. I, I really do. Your core is now of age. Yeah. It's time. You have to give Aho, Turbo, Pesci a reason to want to stay and a reason to maybe take a little bit of a better deal. Like, Pesci maybe takes a little less than he probably could get paid on the open market because he wants to stay in Carolina and win cups. You have to make Ajo feel that way because if you make Ajo feel that way, Turbo staying, if you lose one of those, your chances of getting the other one decrease substantially. 
and you can't lose Aho as a UFA, that would be the biggest failure the organization could ever make. So these are things you have to act now, just number one, to keep them happy. And then also you have to keep the fan base happy because the expectations were high this year. And we all saw it, the disappointment. I mean, you have fans disappointed with the transactions the organization is making. And now you have fans upset with the lack of activity at the deadline to give us a product that gets us to where we're playing right now while we're recording this podcast. The point you make about basically proving it to your locker room that you are invested in going all in on them. I I can just speak to it from experience like that resonates so much in the room. And although no one will ever say it, I, I do think guys feel like Hey, we trust our group. We trust our group. And I'm sure they do. They, they, you could see it on their faces and how they spoke in the interviews. These guys believe they could win it this year, but deep down in the, you you don't say it out loud, part of your, your brain, damn, they, they would have enjoyed having a little bit more juice because, because they know, they know like these guys aren't dumb. So yes, Mike, I mean, if there's not a, if we don't highlight anything else on this episode, that point about proving it to your core of guys that you are invested in them winning, that's number one for me. Because, I mean, if Ajo gets to UFA and he gets to start talking to other teams, what are they going to sell him? We're going to build a championship team around you. You're going to be our guy. We're winning while you are here. That's what other teams are going to sell him. The Canes have an opportunity to And they'll also pay him 12 mil and Carolina won't go over 10. Like, we we just know that's how Carolina operates. And it's worked out for him. I'm not shitting on him. I'm just saying, like, that's the truth. Yeah, so it it is a very interesting offseason because you have this year and the following year. And like you said, the two-year window before all those contracts come up. And then, I mean, even after that, you're going to have to re-up more players. I mean, Slavin's got three years left. And, I mean... If anybody's going to take a hometown discount, which it's not his hometown, but it's become his home, Jacob Slavin would be that guy. But you can't sit back and just like rely on that to happen, right? So at a certain point, when a team like we 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 talk about expectation a lot and winning windows, at a certain point, if this group of guys, if this core doesn't break through and you know make a few Eastern Conference Finals or a Stanley Cup Final at some point. In the next two to three years, well, why are you incentivized to take a hometown discount? You're not anymore because, or if they don't even reach that point, you feel like, oh, we, we this team has reached the ceiling. I can go chase a cup somewhere else, a place that's probably going to pay me better. So that's the flaw in the plan there is the expectation that since this new ownership group has taken over, they've gotten guys to sign really good deals, hometown deals. Well, that works as you're building something. And for the first time since they've taken over, we're not building something. We're at the peak where we should be. We are experiencing expectations for the first time. And that's why this year hurts more because they thought they could win. You could see it in PNC. This wasn't 2019 where the crowd was super overzealous because he hadn't been there in a decade. This was a crowd that, expected to roll through Boston that entered in game seven versus uh, New York with some trepidation because they were supposed to win. And, and like, it was supposed to be easier than this. And it just, everything with this team seems to be difficult. And through 82 game season, that's very hard. 
and then through seven games, you know, potentially four seven game series after that, it's just hard to play that style. You need someone that can score you an easy goal. And I think interjecting that type of player into this lineup is going to open up Svech to score more, going to open up other players because one, less attention Two, when you're scoring goals, it's kind of like hitting in baseball. When everybody's hitting great, like it becomes easy. It's, it's a confidence. It's self-fulfilling. These guys, well, we can't win on the road and we can't score and our power play stinks. They kind of play to that sometimes because you start to believe it as a player. You say you don't. You're like new new day. Like that old stuff doesn't matter. We all do it. We're, we're human. And, and so for me, it's we're at the point where it's expectation time for the first time this year. You have two more years of that to really figure it out. Now. Let's talk. How do you think the team gets over the hump? Yeah, so you get over the hump. I mean, number one, I liked the top two pairings on defense. I mean, if D'Angelo's game, I would assume he's back in Carolina next year. I assume he'll take somewhat of a friendly deal. If he can improve his defensive game, Slavin was phenomenal the entire playoffs. The dude proved once again that he's one of the best if not the best defensive defenseman in the game had a phenomenal playoffs he was our best player d'angelo there's another step he can get defensively i think he needs to do more on the power play um shea and pesci had a fantastic season can't can't complain there at all i thought for the entire season our third pair was kind of like a clusterfuck it was what is what is going on right now I mean, you had constant changes, whether it was Bear that was yeah. in Chatfield, that was in that Smith, night, yeah. that was in Cole, that was in... I mean, there there didn't seem to be continuity. I liked the way, honestly, that Smith stepped in and played in the playoffs. I don't think he's a long-term fit. I wouldn't hate seeing him back as a, as a defenseman seven because I think, especially when it comes to playoff time, he's willing to play that rough style. Um, which inevitably comes when Jacob Truva is trying to take your head off all serious. All clean hits, Mike. All, <laughs> all clean, clean hits. hits. That's what I was told. Yep, definitely. Um, so, I mean, you if you can find a way to clean up that bottom pair, find a little more continuity, I don't think you see Cole coming back because, like we've talked about before, you can't you can't pay. I mean, it's got to be under $3 million for your bottom pairing defenseman. Um, a gardener's got to go. He's not there. There's no, there's no spot for <laughs> that, 4 yeah, million. That's a larger discussion with like, yeah. uh, but in general, and I'll let you get back to Gardner to me, it's, it's adding and subtracting, right? For, yeah. for Carolina, you've been debatably, if not the deepest, one of the deepest teams in the league with your, you know, 16, four or 12 forwards and six defensemen. Well, you can't pay your fourth line, you know, forwards almost six million dollars and they were a little under that this year but you know in past years that was a thing you know we're just going to be deep we're going to be better than you and be deep um you to your point you can't have jake gardner playing third pairing minutes at four million dollars i mean ian cole as much as i'd want to have him back and i and i hope they do um probably can't afford the 2.8 again it's just to add a star in a cap league you have to take L's in your lineup somewhere. You just can't pay everyone top of the market. 
And I think that's kind of the flaw in the plan that we're seeing is regular season, depth conquers. Postseason, stars yeah. are not that stars win. McDavid's not winning cups, but stars can take good teams and make them great teams. Yeah, and you need those guys like a Brendan Smith, like a potentially Chatfield next year, guys that are on really team-friendly contracts to elevate their game because they're cheap, right? Like you could have Chatfield in your bottom pairing next year and you're paying Chatfield under a million dollars, right? And if you can have that guy play like a $1.5, $2 million player, then you're that's where you win. This When you have the development and the young players that can step in and play at a higher dollar value that allows you to go add, like you said, those star players, you're going to be in a good spot. Right now, the only defenseman that I can see that's a like I wouldn't Chatfield's not a youth. I think he's 26. He was he's the only guy that's on a cost effective contract that could step up. I don't think Keen's ready. I don't think any of the other guys are really ready yet. But if you can get Chatfield in and if he can find his rhythm and you're paying him 760,000 or whatever it is, that's a huge deal for you. And those are the kind of that's the kind of value I'm looking for. The, the if it's Drury coming up and playing next year, whoever it may be, like when you have guys on those, whether they're rookie contracts or cheaper two way contracts, like you need those guys to be able to factor in because that's when you that's when you have the impact up the roster in terms of dollar value, in terms of star value. Right. And the organization, especially at forward, has those pieces. I don't think they have as many of them at defense yet. I think there are some in the pipeline that we'll see in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, and if you can find that money, we're gonna ha- we're gonna see players go. I don't uh, like. I will hop in a little bit UFA RFA here. I don't really see Trocheck returning. I think he's gonna get money. I think he's gonna take what's best for his family. What the Canes are gonna offer him, based on the signing of Kukniemi, whatever they do with Natchez, I think that kind of paved the way for Trocheck to kind of go. Um, so I have a hard time seeing him come back. You're gonna ha- you're gonna have to have guys either step up or you're gonna have to fill in lines, right? And you need a guy that's a threat, like you mentioned, to consistently score. And right now it's right now it's well, you look at your UFAs, RFAs. Tro is not a consistent threat to score. He can score, not consistent. Tony RFA, he'll be back most likely. Nino, UFA. I like Nino's game, but Nino's not a game breaker. Nino, Nino is the guy you need in the playoffs for the hard work against the boards. The guy's going to score you 20, low 20s goals for the next couple years probably. He's going to be a half a point a game player. Like, I like the addition of Nino. I don't think I like the addition of Nino at five million or more a year. You mean the six that he's going to get? I, I mean, there's no, there's no way I'm paying a forty point scorer. You and me both, man. Six so, million a year. So what I will say is, and you, you nailed it. it, it it's Chatfield has to be in the lineup next year. And I, hey, I'm not the guy that's ever going to be. Oh my God, next prospect is game changer. And, and you know, Chatfield's 26. He's not that. But I think we often in sports overstate the potential of prospects but to build a roster and let's equate it to football really quick it's like having the advantage of having your quarterback on a rookie deal 
you're not paying your quarterback 30, 40 million dollars. So you can build the rest of the roster. Well, Carolina's highest paid paid player is Sebastian Ajo at roughly eight five. Well, that's a that's a pretty sweet deal for Carolina because most play, teams are paying their highest paid player a little more than that. Overall, Carolina's a bunch of guys on team friendly deals. So they need to weaponize this additional cap space to, to make the team better. Now, to your point, let's focus on Tro, D'Angelo, and Nino. It seems to be the common sentiment around the Canes that Trocek's gone, which as a Vincent Trocek fan is tough. I understand it. It seems like the front office has very much prioritized the fact that, hey, we need to, with this eight-year deal, give Kokaniemi a chance to be the second line center. I know we don't do lines here, but whatever, second line center. So, which makes Trocek expendable. As a contending team, that's difficult. One thing that stood out to me in his post-year interview, Trocek that is, is the fact that he mentioned the team had offered him deals throughout the year. They want to keep him, it sounds like. But, well, Waddell said it. Right. Yeah. But from Gold, Decivian, the people you know that are a little more in the know than you and I are, everyone's projecting him on the outs. And, and I, if you read the tea leaves on how the team is constructed, he's more replaceable than Nino. If it comes down to it, and they're both going to cost $6 million, Trocek might get it beyond that, but Nino's at roughly five and a half now, and they're projecting him to get a little raise. There's no way. I, that's what they're projecting. And I mean, to it me, could happen, like, but it's I, not I like with Nino, the Canes. And I like Nino, and I like the physical presence he brings. But you, as you said, not a game breaker. Not not someone that $6 million. We're complaining that Kokinami at $6 million. You know, if it's six by two, I could point, swallow it. Yeah. I mean, but I can't imagine him wanting two-year term. It, 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 he's not just going to take two. I wouldn't think he's going to take. Nah, if it's six by three, four, five years, that would blow my mind. He, to me, and I know Jordo only has one more year in his deal, but those two would be linked for me. If I, if I could have my way, like I would link those two together because I think Nino has been, has performed best on that third line with Jordo and Faust. When you play him up in the lineup, it's not that he can't do it. He totally has the ability to do it. But he doesn't. It's not his style. He doesn't of play. seem to thrive in yeah. the top six with this group, and hasn't been a weapon on the power play. It just seems like a large percentage of the cap to devote to a guy, you know, at six million dollars, that maybe isn't producing, and doesn't play in your top six. It, it, He's a long-term third-line player. Right. That's what's confusing to me about is everyone seems to go Trocheck in, or Trocheck out, Nino in. Tony in, and we're, we're, you know, the the number of projections has been all over the shop for Tony. But let's talk about that next. But to me, it's like, why are we automatically assuming that keeping Nino is so much better for this team than Vincent Trocek, who's objectively been a better player, like a higher role, more production? Like, I, I just, I don't know. To me, it, it, I don't get it. Nino is harder to replace. I understand wanting to have Nino back. Nino and Trocek getting paid the same amount of money is bananas to me. That I just don't foresee a world where that should or could happen, but maybe that is what happens. It comes down to term for me. I'll pay Nino five or six million for one or two years, but at his stage in his career, 
there's no way he wants a short deal. I mean, if he does, this, I would, this is his last opportunity really to get take paid. to cash yeah. in. The, he's probably got the opportunity to get five by five. I would yeah. guess. And, I'd agree with that. I mean, if you can get twelve and two, and then find a way to make up thirteen in the next three, but you're talking about aging out of people wanting to pay you long-term contract. It's so it all gets a little and, and with Trocek, fuzzy. They do want to keep him. I just think the market will it's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. It, he's he's going to get work. outpriced by the market and they are in a position to replace him. To me, speaking back on Nino, it's as much as I am terrified of what that deal could look like. Big bodied, Wingers that can score are really hard to find. Yeah. And as much as we talk about scoring juice, how do you replace that guy? And to me, the, the overarching goal of the offseason, if I had it my way, once again, if I am Don Waddell, I am doing my best to find a high-end version of that. A big-bodied, shoot-first, power-forward. That's what I want. When when I my mind goes to it and you think RFA market, I think Patrick Line. Now, he seems less available than he has been in the past. We'll see. Kind of had an up and down tenure and relationship with the Blue Jackets. But that's what I'm I'm looking for. I'm not dipping into the Philip Forsberg at nine million. That that's not gonna be me. I, I'm I like Debrinkit. I think he's a phenomenal player. I worry what's that, one, the cost of the trade, two, what's he look like here and what's he look like in the playoffs. I just worry about the redundancy of a smaller dynamic player. I I want big-bodied players in the playoffs. They don't have the fight. There's just something about physicality that this team lacks. But more than anything else, whether it's Forsberg, Dabrinkit, Line A, whoever, you just need to add an element to this team on the ice whether it's on the power play or five on five, that the opponent goes, I got to worry about that guy. And they don't have that right now. Could it become Svetch? Maybe. I think Aho, if you get him as, you know, he's over a point per game player, if he continues to be this guy for the remainder of his career, you're exceedingly happy. I'm not sure how much more projection is there, but you got to have someone to take the next step. Yeah. So, and I'll talk on the players you just mentioned. I'll start with Forsberg. The reality is it's highly unlikely the Canes are going to win a UFA negotiation for one of the top players on the market. Um, if he even gets to that point, if Nashville doesn't find a deal for him in that in that window between now and the uh, free agent market opening up. So he's most likely not in. I would enjoy that addition. I think, I think he has the ability to match the Kane style of play pretty well. When it comes to adding somebody like Line A, the issue I see with adding Line A is that you're talking about trading within the division and you trading don't, with, you don't want Natchez to flourish in the metro. And it's 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 just a fact of they're not gonna if they really want to move him, it's highly unlikely that they're gonna move him within the Metro division. I just think that when you see smaller trades like the Jake Bean trade or something along those lines, those can happen in the division. But when you're sending a star player like Line A, I would just think the price gets higher at sure. that point. And we, not to cut you off, but we were texting about this a few days ago. And it's like, if, if Natchez follows the Elias Lindholm track, sure. 
it is much more palatable for the organization for Elias Lindholm to flourish in the, in the West, West in Calgary than it is for Martin Natchez to become a guy in Columbus. Which giving, is, yeah. right. Which is why Chicago makes the most sense, which is why Debrinkin makes the most sense. And I'll say this. So Debrinkin, to me, I understand the concern around size and physicality, but my argument to that is he's a guy that's going to be in your top six. I'm fine with how the Canes play five-on-five. They they typically dominate the game five-on-five. What you need is a guy that occasionally scores a goal out of nowhere on five on five, which Debrinkit can do regardless of physicality because you don't need physicality to do that. We saw that from other teams' players. Even if he makes your power play better, better that's, it's worth it. He that And that's why a player like Debrinkit to me is worth it. And you might find out that the guy is fearless, like Seth Jarvis, which that's a whole nother conversation because that is a guy that could develop into right. an Alex to bring it. So to be fair, and I am all aboard the Seth, Jar- Seth Jarvis train, and I think he showed a ton this postseason. But we were having similar con- conversations about Natchez last year. Like it's very easy to overstate youth performing above expectation and sure. trying to project that into stardom. It can't be assumed. I think it's easy to assume on the outside. It doesn't. Always, it's not progress is not linear, and so we can't yeah. just project him to being the superstar. Although passes the eye test in droves. Well, for me, the difference between Jarvis and Natchez that is the reason why I would invest way more in Jarvis is mentality and confidence. For the sure. dude exudes confidence. Um, he's I'm fast been, boy. <laughs> he's been noted to be a quick learner by Rod and everyone else around the organization. He's a good team player. He's fearless. Like he has a lot of attributes that I don't really see in Natchez when it comes like if Natchez was fearless and got to the center of the ice more cutting in from the wing, he would be a more productive player. in my opinion. Is it is it North American versus European style? I just think it's person to person. I just think Jarvis is a guy that like you you remember growing up when you're playing dodgeball kickball there were the guy there were the kids growing up regardless of size that weren't scared of anything we'll put their nose into it and just, then there were the yeah. super athletic guys that were scared to get tackled right. i mean it's and i'm not saying that's nature's but no. jarvis is one of those players that has kind of the it he has the it exactly and that's why he's somebody that i'm not saying he's gonna be a superstar next year but he reminds me a lot of what I saw in Aho mentality wise. Yeah, and I those think two, he that's has the, that's the comp. And I think he has more raw skill than Aho, especially when it comes to scoring. Right. So if you can get me to an Aho level player with a better scoring touch, I'm not Ajo's sure Jarvis ever player. transitions to center. I I don't, I, I don't see it physically. Um, but yeah, I think that's point, a great. I look at point, and I'm if if Jarvis sure. can get strong enough. By the time he's 24, you could see a tra- I don't think, sure. I think he's a winger for the next but several I, I th- years. I think, yeah, that's the, you know, by the time he's 24, we're, we're talking about a totally different team. Um, to, to me, it's, he's just, he's a little different and how, how he's wired and how he plays. And he's very similar to Ajo in that regard and from a mentality standpoint. But you, you look at the team. And that's why I brought up the North American versus um, European philosophy of playing. You just have a lot of guys that are a little bit more shoot first, finesse, passive. Let's play this 
um, you know, like I said, more finesse game. You have a lot of guys, passers. Yeah, got, yeah, you gotta get guys to, that are, want to go to the middle. And uh, I once again, I'll reference Adam Gold. I think it was a podcast he had on with Corey Lavillette and uh, Sarah Sivian. You know, who's the goal scorer here? Like, who is the most natural goal scorer on the team? If I'd ask you, um, they asked this. I'm copywriting. I would say it's Svetcher Jarvis for and, me. And, you know, I think that was the consensus there too. And I agree with it. I, I think it needs to be Svetch. He, in this lineup of guys, you got the guys written on the board for us right now. Of your forwards, him and Nino are the only power forward type players. You have a bunch of finesse, pass first, smaller guys. And that's where I go is adding Dabrinkit to this, the move. Because he's diminutive, just like many of these guys are. Um, but I think the point you made that is apt and probably the right answer, if a guy like that can come in, be a threat at five on five, but more than anything else, make your power play legitimate in the playoffs, which I think one person can do. I, they have some schematic things that I think they need to look at, but I think he would have the ability to do that. And for me, that would make it worth it in the end. Yeah. And my, what my counter to that will be, if Debrinket is brought into the team, that means two players are 100% gone. That means Trocek's gone. That means Natchez is gone. That means you've lost two smaller statured players, Natchez being a less aggressive player. I'm not going to hate on Trocek's aggressiveness. Right. He plays the game the right way. He yeah. plays the, the game the right way, but both of those are more slight guys. You're, you're going to move two of those out, move one in, and you're going to have a whole lot of roster space to fill it out if you decide that you need to get a little bit bigger, a little more physical. And I'm not I'm not too sure what that looks like. I think I don't think there's an issue running very fast, skilled top lines being your one and two line if you have at least one elite goal scorer and then one or two or three other guys that can put it in the back of the net. And I think you'd have that in that So in, in this scenario, what do you look like down the middle? Aho, KK, Stahl, Drury? Yeah, probably. Um, if we're going to say for sure in this scenario, Natchez would be gone as most likely a part of the Debrinket package. Because I I, I've told you this all last year. I would hate to have him leave without seeing him play center for an extended period of time. And unfortunately, and you can people have talked the KK offer sheet to death, but it's done two things for me that have kind of put you in a corner that you don't want to be in. One, it probably prevented you from doing what you wanted to do at the trade deadline. Two, now it kind of puts you in a position position where you got to give him a chance to be your second line center. You, you, you almost have to, to justify the deal. I don't think you can enter next year as him as your fourth line center playing, you know, 10 minutes a night. Like you, you just can't do that. Um, and the problem there is, I think Natchez, one, he expressed some frustration and, I was shocked that Rod kind of acknowledged it and you know took a little bit of accountability for it. I think you got to give him a chance, man. He where does he excel in the neutral zone? Bring it up with speed. He he's the one guy that can really carry the puck. And it's like if you put him in the middle, could this guy thrive? 
got to be better on power plays, got to be better um, positionally on defense. But yeah, slight build. We've seen when he's rolling, he will play with a little bit of an edge. We saw it last year. Yeah. Now, he didn't do it for about 12 months, but it's it's there. And maybe that is, as we saw with Svech last year, playing to a contract, not performing to expectation. Confidence is a little down. Organization doesn't trust me. Where am I going to be next year? That all plays into your psyche. And, you know, not that we want to give these guys, you know, cop outs, but it, it's true. Like that affects you. Absolutely. I, I mean, I like Natchez. I've I've said it all along, and I would be happy for him to be back and have the opportunity again. Um, I think the long-term value of KK's deal is a high-end third-line center, middle-of-the-pack second-line center. So if he wasn't – like, that's where things get fishy. Like you mentioned, like, do you bump Jordo – down to the fourth line well, if you keep Natchez. What do you do? I got, I got a question for you because you made a good point. If his, if we view the floor as long-term third line, do we kind of just view next year as another situation where you're overpaying him to be what is effectively your fourth line center? And then if Jordo retires or Jordo goes on one-year deals, he's just kind of waiting in the wings to be the next guy. And maybe the organization is playing chess and not checkers and going, y'all all think we have to overslot him as our second line center next year. There's a reason we locked him up for eight years. He's cost, you know, we know he's a, the cost is there. It's, it's a steady cost. It's projectable cost. We know where it's at. If and when Jordan Stahl does eventually retire, I don't think he's going to play for anyone else. So when he retires, we've got our replacement. Boom. Now we can fiddle with the lineup. The, the way. Like, basically, I view it. Is this the Jordan replacement? Yeah, I think so. I think KK is the Jordan replacement. And I think it's learn. I think the whole idea is learn from Jordan. Now, with that being said, is there a potential that maybe KK is your third line center and Jordan plays fourth and you see them kind of flip flop as the season eb- ebbs and flows? Like, Jordan had a really great half of a season and a pretty bad half of a season right like maybe he's better off playing a little bit less during the regular season right and then coming in as the season progresses and if kk is not getting it done then you can move him up towards the end of the regular season towards the playoffs and then you might have him a little more rested a little less bumped up and then you got a healthy jordan stall where if kk is not getting it done then you're like KK, you're not giving us what we need for playoffs yet. You're still young. We're not going to bench you, but you're going to swap down to the fourth line. And then KK's got to – you got to beat out Jordan Stahl. And you're not going to just beat out Jordan Stahl. You're going to have to earn it. And I like I love that when you have to beat the man ahead of you up because that's how everyone gets better. That's how it should work. I mean, that's Absolutely. how – I think that's where I've had a little bit of frustration with the Kokanimi situation. It's like – it's almost like the front office has their hands in there. It's like he probably deserved to be scratched at certain points, but it's never going to happen because there is a political element to this. But I think what you said makes a lot of sense. And if they can get back to, because that was the first time in the Rod Brindamore era where I thought that was the case. And I don't think that's coming from him. I think that's coming from above him in the front office. But if we can get back to the point where it is apparent that every single person in this lineup 
is earning their job and earning their role, I think that can do wonders. Because at the end of the day, it's still a very young lineup. Absolutely. I mean, we are in a unique position because we're in a playoff like Stanley Cup window right now. But if they play their cards right and make all the right moves, which it's you never know until it's been done, right? But they could have a team that teeters in and out of Stanley Cup contention for 10, 12, 15 years. And if you can manage a way around that, you're going to have some years where it's like, yeah, this is a first round, second round exit team. Right. And then like, if you're telling me 15 years, you can have eight years where you're a playoff team, but not a Stanley Cup contender. And then have seven years where you're a Stanley Cup contender. You're going to, you're going to be all right with that. Where, where I would push back a little bit. And I totally agree with you because we've seen it. We've seen Pittsburgh do it. We've seen Washington do it. They're, Heck, Tampa's in their third cup final in a row, but this team has been building for a decade. Like, and a team that many thought couldn't get over the top, and now here we are in the third finals. Uh, the where the where I would push back would be those teams all had generational type stars. This team doesn't have one of those. Now, can one develop? I think we look at potential of three guys that have a chance. And Maybe Jacob Slavin is that on the back end, but he's a, you know, defense first and there's only so much one guy can do in that capacity. That's where I would push back. We don't have that guy right now. Though Penguins had Crosby, Ovechkin in Washington, Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman, Vasilevsky, all of them in Tampa. We don't we don't have a guy at at that threshold or really even near it a guy that you would say is a no doubt top five top ten player yeah for sure i mean you could see an aho or a eventually get into that conversation there's still a lot of young players in the organization that we'll just have to see where they track i don't know that i don't know that i mean generational players are very rare right there's really if you break it down a handful of them. Has there been three in our lifetime? I mean, you would got you say Ovechkin, Crosby, Crosby McDavid? McDavid are the are the easy generational players, and then well, like superstar well, well, elite. Let, yeah, let's go. Generational is those three. Generational is those three. Superstars is different. Should only be ten-ish players in my mind, but yeah, those three in a, a tier of their own. Yeah, I think I think you have guys on this team that can become superstars, superstars. and I think like. And sometimes those superstars need somebody that matches their playing style, right, to maybe take them to that next level. Like, give Aho, give Svech the opportunity to play with a line A, to bring it. Yeah, I, give- I truly feel like if you add a scorer to this lineup, it makes the other guys so much better. Well, it takes a weight off every. Like, you're talking about if. You're talking about if Tro and Natchez go, you're losing 35 goals from last regular season. You could potentially bring in one player who would be getting paid less than those two combined significantly, who brings 15 more goals in that in a season, and then you add another $2 million, $3 million player that also brings you 15 goals. You're talking about going from 35 goals to going to 65 goals. And what's that do for Aho and Svetch? You know, I always feel like how the lines are constructed is if you're not doing STA 
then someone is on the outs and we're, it really feels like they play like someone is on the outs. And I don't know, like adding one more preeminent forward allows you to go two and two on your lines. You know, maybe it's Aho and Turbo and then Svetch and whoever the forward to be named later is. But that deepens your lineup. And now you're not doing, you know, two and one. And really those lines, it almost seems like Aho will carry a line and Svetch will carry a line but it's not sustainable. I think adding a superstar or a player near that ilk uh, would really just open up a lot of things. Um, We've gone pretty long. I think next week, let's go down one by one UFAs, RFAs, talk more big picture, uh, potential trades, uh, maybe Gardner buyout and kind of flesh out the off season. I know we played the jingle, but, but maybe it's not a t-shirt or turtleneck time just yet. Um, but I think it's a really good episode and, and really enjoyed kind of bantering back and forth first time back in the studio in a minute. So any final thoughts, bud? Yeah. I mean, just think about this Think about Svetch Aho to bring it. And then your next line would then be turbo KK Jarvis. I'm fine with it. I mean, and even if Natchez is that center, I mean, I, I, that's more appealing to me, but I don't think you do it without dealing Natchez. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think Turbo matches KK's style a little bit better in terms of puck possession and everything. And Jarvis is a guy that can capitalize off their ability to possess the puck and move it around. And then you've got Svetch, Aho, and Debrinkit. That that line could score in bunches. And your second line is no slump of a line either. Well, last thing. You know, if you went Svetch, Line, Nino, uh, having three power forwards on three different lines... That's a bitch to play against, man. Uh, yeah, that like, too. But you got to get line A to buy into playing sure. well, the way that Svetch and, right. and Nino play. Cause and he, I, I he think if you get him there with this team, he will. A lot of countrymen, I don't know, I'm speculative. That's my hope. You guys will hear that over and over. But let's do RFAs, UFAs next week, talk yeah. potential deals. Um, any final thoughts as far as who got winning the cup final? Um, You know... Candidly, abs up 3-1 into the first, just so you know. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to bet against Tampa until they lose. So That's kind of how I feel. I, I feel like the Avalanche are probably the better team. It's their time. Can't pick against the champs, man. They could just keep winning, and, you know, they drop a game here. I think the edge in the end could probably be uh, Vasilevsky. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Guy's, guy's a legend. But... Thank you guys for joining us. We're going to try and get on a regular schedule here in the summer, probably recording early in the week. So uh, we will talk to you next week later from the podcast.